Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for braving the rain joining us today. Let's pray. God, we ask now that as we dive into the book of Matthew, lead and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. When you think of the continent of Antarctica, what comes to mind? Ice and cold. Maybe some penguins, right? Well, believe it or not, Back in 1996-97, uh, December and January, there was a team of climbers uh, from the North Face, in, two in particular. I know Conrad Anker and Alex Lowe. There was a few others. I, I can't remember the mind, uh, my, my mind slips who else was there. Traveled to Antarctica, and they went to this little area called, the, I, I'm, I hope I'm saying this right, it's the Queen Mobland. And in that specific part of Antarctica are these huge rock faces. Now, Alex and Conrad were some of the best climbers at the time. Uh, and they went and they were climbing these huge faces of rock. It was amazing. And um, later that year, you know, the North Face being good marketers that they were, they created a catalog and they sent it to me because I love the outdoors and at the time, you know, I, I had dreams of being a famous alpinist. Uh, and um, when I received that catalog, I took it in and I looked through all the gear. But as awesome as the gear was, what really drew me were all of these pictures of Alex and Conrad just climbing these immense slabs of rock all in Antarctica. You would think in Antarctica, how did they battle with all the blizzards? And they did deal with storms. But being that it was uh, December, January, it was their summer. So it wasn't as bad. And it just blew my mind. Wow. And so these two guys kind of became like my climbing heroes. Um, and they just, they would become regular climbing buddies and they would climb all the time together. Later on, Alex uh, in 1999, I think it was around May, June, he would go on to climb with Jared Ogden and uh, Mark Sinat to uh, I think it was the first attempt on the Great Tarango Tower in Pakistan. And I just remember being, you know, a young adult at that time. All oh, that was amazing. Alex was a huge inspiration for me. Later that year, uh, in uh, September, October, Alex and Conrad, they teamed up again, but this time with a whole bunch of other athletes from the North Face. And they wanted to attempt to climb up Mount Shishapangma. Some of you are like, what? It's, uh, it's a peak that's over 8,000 feet. And their goal, Alex's goal, was to climb to the top and ski down to be the first to ski down an 8,000-meter peak. 8,000 meters is how high? It's over 26,000 feet, okay? Not a lot of air up there, or very thin air. And it was his dream, his goal, to not only just, you know, do that, but he wanted to, cl to climb but also ski down a really awesome aesthetic line. 
The south fest, southwest face of Mount Shishapagma was probably the best uh, face that they could probably get up to and climb and then ski down. However, on October 5, 1999, Alex and Conrad, as they were always teamed up, and along with a filmmaker, an aspiring filmmaker by the name of David Bridgers, were crossing a glacier. And as they looked up, they saw a seric break off and cause an avalanche. And when it hit the avalanche, the wind gusts and wind blasts knocked Conrad out of the way. He went one way, and I believe if I remember the story right, Alex and David ran the other way. What ended up happening was Conrad survived. He had some broken ribs. His face was smashed up. He would physically be okay, mentally. It was a different story because one of his best friends, his brother, you know, when you climb tall peaks like the Great Trango Tower or in Queen Maban or any kind of climbing, when you're roped up, you are trusting what with that person? Your life. And they didn't just go to places where it was nice and warm. It was cold. It was painful. They'd suffered. They were like brothers. They trusted each other. They knew their instincts. They could be able to do things without even having to say anything. That was the kind of relationship that Conrad and Alex had. And unfortunately, on that fateful day, the avalanche swept up Alex and David and wouldn't be seen for 17 years. When you're up that high, safety is paramount. They tried for 20 hours to find David and Alex, but to no avail. Later, 17 years in 2016, uh, Uli Steck and uh, another famous alpinist realized and saw, hey, there's two bodies down there in the crevasse, in the glacier. Realizing who it was, they informed Conrad. Conrad eventually got to know Alex's wife, and eventually they got married, and Conrad ended up raising Alex's sons. But for many years, Conrad struggled just with the grief of losing his brother, his friend. And even so, feeling guilty because, well, what if we'd done this? What if we'd done that? What if we get, there's so many what ifs. And unfortunately, you know, they were playing a dance, a dangerous dance. When you're up that high, anything can happen. Conrad, eventually, when they did find Alex and they were able to peacefully have a, a proper burial and everything, he finally was relieved, but it took many years Grief set inside. When we look at scripture, and we look at the life of Jesus, did Jesus ever grieve? When you look at, let's go to, let's go to Matthew chapter 14. There's a story here that it's, it's very easy to, to just gloss over. But when you look at it, it's very profound. There's a big lesson here that I think we can take. Matthew chapter 14, we find Jesus uh, going out and about healing, teaching, and preaching. 
But he's informed of some big news. He had a cousin. What was his name? John, also known as John the Baptist. And John the Baptist had a little bit of a word battle with Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch was a, a local ruler. And let's just say he had a relationship that was very inappropriate with, uh, I think, was it his brother's wife? Yeah, Philip's wife. And so John calls him out and says, hey, what you're doing? It's not appropriate. Now, Herod wanted to get rid of John, but because John was so influential, he feared John's disciples and the greater crowd. Now, on Herod's birthday, as it says in verse 6, the daughter of Herodias was dancing for the guests, and Herod and everyone was pleased, and he made an oath. He made a promise, hey, ask for whatever you want, and I will grant it. Folks, when you make oaths, <laughs> be very careful what you ask for, because what did she ask for? Well, Herodias took opportunity to get rid of John here, and so he... She informs her daughter, I want you to ask for John the Baptist's head. Well, the king was distressed because you can't just make an oath and back off from it, right? So he had to follow through. He couldn't look bad in front of his dinner guests, so he called for John the Baptist's literal head, took the head, put it on a platter, and gave it to Herodias. Different world. Right? And afterwards, we find in, in verse 12, John's disciples then came and took his body and buried it. And then at verse 12, the end of verse 12, it says, they went and told Jesus. Now, for Jesus, this is very traumatic. I mean, he lost a loved one. And But what does Jesus do? How does he respond? In verse 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. So after hearing John the Baptist, his cousin, being murdered, what did Jesus do? He went away to grieve, to spend some time. We don't know exactly how long. And in the midst of this, Jesus himself was hurting. Yet because as popular as Jesus was, what came next? When Jesus came back, who was looking for him? We find that in, in verse 13, hearing this, the crowds followed him on foot from the town. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had what? He had compassion on them and healed their sick. Jesus couldn't escape from his role. Jesus had a large role, a very influential role. He was there to, as it says in Luke 4, to teach, preach, to baptize, to bring healing, to make those who were blind to see. And it never stopped. One of the challenges that even sometimes, even when we experience, when, when, we, when we lose a loved one, or when we're just feeling so overwhelmed, we think, God, I just cannot, I cannot be in this place. How, how can I continue to minister when I'm hurting? And something that we've been talking about, and especially I think I, I highlighted it last week, was that even in your brokenness, there's something that you can give. You can understand, you can relate, you can share. 
And, and so just like Jesus, however, though, we're not immune to heartache. We live in a broken world. Our hearts are going to be hurt. Amen? How many of you have not experienced that? We've all experienced that. We've all experienced heartache at one point. From the loss of a loved one to being betrayed, to things not going your way. And yet we also live in a broken world where broken people called to minister to others. And so what did Jesus do, though, upon hearing? He took some time to go to a solitary place to grieve and when he was ready to come back and serve. But, you know, when you're grieving, does it just go away? No. If you truly loved, sometimes it sticks with us. Sometimes it takes a while. And even sometimes it could be 20 years, 30 years, and that pain is still there every once in a while. But by God's grace, God can work on our hearts and still equip us to serve. So Jesus, he took time to deal with his grief. And it's important that when we lose a loved one, take time. It's okay. When we push it down, what are we just doing? We're only prolonging the inevitable. Deal with your grief. So Jesus, right off the bat, though, when he comes back, people are waiting for him. And as it says, he had compassion on them. And when he comes back, he's healing, he's teaching, he's preaching. He notices, and this is funny, I, and I've read this story so many times. I really, you realize what time of the day it was. It was evening, and all these people had come, and they were hungry. Uh, so it says in verse 15, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, hey, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. You couldn't just go down to the local McDonald's or the local Ralph's, right? People back then, they had to raise their crops. They raised their own food or they traded for their own food. But what's Jesus respond with? They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Oh, you think the disciples, what do you think they were thinking when Jesus said that? Dude, like you have the ability to make food. We can't, <laughs> right? Or like taking it literally like Jesus, there's nothing around here. Well, what do we got? He said, well, we got five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. In verse 18, it says, bring them here to me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So not only did God take what this very little meager amount of food and then blessed it, he, it, there was plenty that was left over, 12 basketfuls. And it wasn't just a small group. It was a big group. Over 5,000 men besides women and children. So let's say there are women and children there. We could easily double it. 
10,000 people? It's amazing. They all ate and were what? Satisfied. They didn't go away hungry. Very simple meal. And the disciples picked up the 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 5,000 men besides women and children. What's interesting here is, you know, Jesus, I love this story because Jesus, he pushed the disciples to play key roles in ministering to others. Jesus definitely served others, but he wanted to include helping to teach, to mentor. Jesus created a team around him to help minister. And ultimately, he was preparing them for his impending death and then when he would leave. He was leading by example. He taught them well on how to do their job right down to the very basics. Now, for years, William uh, Wilberforce, uh, he pushed Britain's parliament to abolish slavery. So as you can tell, this was a long time ago. And discouraged as he was, uh, he, he was about to give up. He had a friend by the name of John Wesley, also another very, very famous minister who heard of it, and even on his deathbed, he, he got some pen and paper, and he wrote. And with a trembling hand, uh, Wesley wrote, Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might, till even American slavery shall vanish away before it. Now, six days later, John Wesley passes away. But Wilberforce fought for another 44, 45 years, and in 1833, three days before his own death, slavery was abolished in Britain. Wilberforce needed some encouragement. And how can we, as, as followers of Jesus, how can we help? We can be encouragers, just like Wesley was to those around us, those who are hurting, who are grieving, or just plain exhausted, a note of encouragement can do what? Can mean the world. Just being recognized, being present. Around the world, there are plenty of people who are hurting and yet still making a commitment to go out and share the gospel. You know, one of our, our ministries of the church is ADRA, Adventist Development Relief Agency. And that when an, an earthquake happens, a, a, a typhoon, a hurricane, they go into places where things are just torn apart. And yet they're able to go out and help those by providing, providing basic needs, helping them to get uh, the things that they need. Uh, worldwide Missions also goes out and helps those. There's another uh, organization. They're not, they're not Christian, but they're making a difference. You would think, how important is water? Dumb question, right? Water is, is it's life-saving. And yet, how much of the water is clean around the world? It's so easy for us just to go to a tap and turn it on, and it's cleaner than most of the world. It's water, amen? Even our toilet bowl's water is cleaner than most water in the world. And so what waves, of water, waves for water does is they just go out and they help bring clean, filtered water into the world and we go to the most difficult places in the world. But in that, sometimes you're going to see heartache, you're going to see tragedy. And sometimes even in our own pain, there are things that we are dealing with. And sometimes we just 
sometimes I think, to be honest, we sometimes just wish, can I just take a pass? Earlier this week, I woke up. I'm not going to lie, I was a little depressed. Um, the day before, I'd received news that a, a, a friend of mine had passed away. And I was upset. Why, God? Why would you allow a young woman who has kids, who had the future, why would you allow him? And I don't, I don't know. And I struggled as I was preparing for this. It's good grief. <laughs> I'm experiencing, I have to walk the talk on this. I don't know why God allowed this to happen. What I do know, though, is I can take her memory, the good that she brought, the stubbornness, the tenacity <laughs> that she lived by being a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. My friends, sometimes the world can be a very painful place. But may it not let you be stopped, may it not stop you from being kind and doing good and be a blessing to others. Just like Jesus, even in his own grief, he was able to go out and move forward. And so I want to encourage you. May God grant you courage, grant you strength to go forth to share the gospel with others and to be an example. Maybe moms and dads out there too. I, I was especially thinking about this. Some of you, and maybe, you know, maybe your kids are older now. You're out of that phase, but how many of you remember going to work, coming back, then having to remember, oh, I got to feed my kids. I got to send them to bed. Got to get all of that homework done. And it can be wary. Amen. Or maybe you've got a newborn and you're not sleeping well. Whatever life brings you, know that God is faithful. God will grant you the wisdom and the strength to go forward. So, where in life has pain and struggle helped or challenged your faith? Where in your life has pain and struggle helped or challenged your faith? This week, find someone you know who is struggling or grieving by listening and praying for them. Doesn't matter who. So may God bless you, lead and guide you. May we be the ambassadors Jesus has called us to be. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your good and your mercy endures forever. In all things, Lord, we give you thanks and praise. Thank you, Lord, for the rain. Help us, Lord, uh, as we go forth to be the ambassadors as you've called us to be. May we be loving and may we be kind. For our brothers and sisters here who are grieving, Lord, we pray that your hands of comfort and grace and peace be upon them. For those who are just struggling, Lord, even just to get by, Lord, we pray that wisdom and the means will be provided. Lord, for those who are dealing, Lord, with just mental stress, emotionally just wrung out, Lord, and even just those who are spiritually, God, just they're questioning if you're even real. God, please attend to them. For those who have questions, Lord, they let them know that they always have a place to be able to come here and ask questions. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Grace and peace, everyone. God bless you all.